You're listening to Online Conversation, an event series that dives into important topics, themes, and trends in the mental health care space. This discussion was recorded live via Zoom on October 23rd, 2020. Alma member Max Stanley Cazzo joined Alma founder and CEO, Dr. Harry Ritter, for a conversation about election-related stress and effective communication. Alma is a network of mental health care providers dedicated to simplifying access to high-quality, affordable care. As members, therapists gain access to the tools they need to grow and run their private practice, like insurance support, events and programming, and a community of their peers. Through this, Alma has grown into a destination for people seeking care. To learn more, visit HelloAlma.com. We're incredibly excited to have Mac with us today. Mac, I'm going to let you uh, introduce yourself, but uh, Mac is a goddessman trained uh, psychotherapist, part of the Alma community who really uh, focuses his work on relationships, communication, how couples and others work together and communicate effectively to get to the right outcome. Mac, I'll let you introduce yourself, and then and then maybe we'll we'll jump right in. Okay. Good morning, everybody, um, and thank you for having me today. I'm very excited to be part of this conversation. Um, my name is Max Stan Stanley Cazot. I am a licensed mental health counselor with a specialization in couples therapy. Um, I obtained my specialization through the Government Institute. To me, I feel that Dr. Gottman is like the Michael Jordan of couples therapy. So I definitely wanted to, I definitely wanted access mm-hmm. to his lab, to his research, and just add it to, to my life, first things first, and then continue to um, raise my, my competence when working with couples. Um, I'm also the owner of Therapy is for Everyone Counseling Services, which is located right here in Brooklyn and one of the members of the Alma Therapist team. Once again, thank you for having me, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Mac, we're very excited to have you. So let's jump right in. You know, we're going to spend the majority of our time today talking about election-related stress, its impact on relationships, communication, and how we interact with those around us. But uh, this is not a normal election cycle. This isn't happening in in a normal year. And so I wanted to just take a step back and uh, talk about the context of this election that's coming up and just the, the, the baseline stress and challenge of the year that we found ourselves in. What are you noticing among your own clients uh, in terms of the differences or similarities to their reaction to election-related stress as it's coming up now in the next few weeks, made different by the background of COVID and the pandemic and all the various challenges that we've been dealing with over the last few months? That is an excellent question. I, I, I would say that at first, there has been an upkeep of individuals and couples just looking in, into therapy alone, right? I think it's fair to say that business for therapists has increased tremendously due to the time of COVID and due to the election coming. In regards to the clients, I do find that most people are a lot more anxious, unaware of what the future of of the economy is going to look like, and also what the leadership standpoint is going to look like. So this two uncertainties has created a space of conflict a space of high anxiety, the unknown has has led to just no longer having a safe space and having to always worry about what's going to happen next. What what, what does our business are going to look like? What's the income going to look like? And what life in general 
is going to look like after November. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned, just to take a second longer on this topic, you mentioned specifically seeing more anxiety in the community. Yeah. Are there other key reaction patterns that you're seeing in terms of like grief or mourning, bereavement, trauma, any other sort of key reaction patterns that you're seeing play out in addition to sort of the sense of anxiety and feelings of uncertainty and fear in, in, in right. navigating the ambiguity of what's coming up next? I think you mentioned most of them. In addition, I would make is depression. I do think due, due to the COVID standpoint, due to the pandemic, people are scoring higher on the depression scale. So it, it may be skewed due to the fact that the, stat, the status quo and our, our normal way of, of living has drastically changed. But grief, trauma, bereavement have been a staple in, I would say, 90% of the clients that I have seen in the past six, six months personally. So let's take that then to the issue of communication and communication patterns during times of intense stress. Oh, yeah. Um, as a therapist, how have you noticed differences, first, in the way that your clients communicate with you, and then we'll talk about communicate with you know their others and, and partners in their life, but are you noticing changes in terms of the ways, the communication patterns that you're experiencing from your clients in this period of stress and all the other kind of background challenges that we've already started to talk a little bit about? Yeah. So virtually, the the pattern of com- communication be- be between me and client has, has been the same as it usually is. I do feel like at times we'll spend about five to 10 minutes per session just just kind of check, check, checking in on what's going on in the world and their political viewpoints, how is that affecting the way that, that they think and the way that they interact with me as well, because at the end of the day, I am a Black man, right? W- one change that I have noticed is that there has been an increase in, follow- in follow-up emails. They'll just message me, hey, I'm not feeling well today. Could, could we have an extra session? Or I actually enjoyed our, our session last time. I think for next week, I would want to, to address this and this. Prior to the pandemic and the state of America, I would say that I didn't have as many follow-up emails, but now that has become a staple where I'm getting about 30% of my clients will email me after a session, I either requesting an extra session or just wanting to, to expand on their feelings their, and, and their emotions and requesting a check-in. It's interesting. I want to connect that back to something you said earlier around people who are looking for a a safe space. So, you know, one of the things that I remember about uh, therapy in the good old days, so to speak, was it was a very intentional decision. You know, you were at home, you were or you were at work, and then you would physically pick yourself up and you would go to this place. And there was this sort of almost like barrier to entry, like there was a certain amount of intentionality that went going from like life to therapy from that like regular space to that safe space and then you would come out of it and you know that barrier almost I think maybe made it so that I don't know if this is true but you know you almost you almost were less likely to email afterwards because it was like a bigger flip you know from one to the other whereas in a more virtual world you know it's pretty easy to jump on a quick on on a call or send an email or be a little bit more connected I mean what advantages are you finding from that and 
are there any disadvantages that you're also experiencing when you're getting these like 30% of your clients emailing you or the extra sessions? You know, is there, is there some benefit to having that more stark separation or do you find that fluidity is actually valuable to the therapeutic process? Personally, I actually welcome it and, and I let them know that it's okay. Right, because the days that they are experiences can can change from a good day to a bad day to a horrible day just in a matter of hours or or etc. So I am always willing to assist as needed, and I understand currently that mental health is is a major topic that and a major issue that that is affecting a number of people. So if I am able to to assist in any kind of way, I am. I more than welcome it. The downside of it, I would say that I, I enjoy limiting my access to my cell phone. So having 100 emails a day or and things like this and bringing it to zero just for a number of, what, 15 minutes, and then it's right back up. Definitely irks me a little bit, but um, I, I would say that the pros outweighs the cons 100%. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, and it's an interesting sort of secondary topic that we we probably we may have some time to get into, but it's just also how all of this stress impacts you as the therapist. Because there's also this, you know, sense of heightened heightened expectation of connectivity that uh, that I think we all are experiencing right now across the board. Yeah. How about just transitioning to you know more the relational side? In the couples that you work with, how are you seeing the background stress of COVID and then the impending stress around the election? impacting communication, impacting those relationships. Are there any common themes that you're seeing? 100%. I, I, was, I was doing some research on, on how the pandemic and the, the election has affected couples. And the truth is the divorce is at an all-time high currently. Domestic violence or interpersonal violence within the home is also at an all-time high. And I do think that the, the current stressors of not having a steady income, not, not being able, able to go outside to engage in self-care, and not having this routine that we have been used to for a number of years, and just being secluded into a home where, to some degree, there's no mental, no physical escape. So for couples whose foundations were not as strong, the pandemic and the added stress has caused the issues to increase, right? A lot of things are, are coming to light and can no longer be pushed to the side because we're with each other 24-7. While couples who have a strong foundation, whose friendship is stellar, whose communication skills and conflict management was always a strong suit, are actually enjoying it because they get to hang out with their best friends 24-7. So what I found is that Yes, stress is def- has definitely affected communication skills between couples, but they're still engaging in the non-conducive behaviors that they've always engaged in prior. It's just now it's a lot more because we're with each other all day long. Mm-hmm. It's in, yeah, that's very interesting. So you're, if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly, it's it's almost like this has become a pressure cooker. It's taken whatever was there before and just magnified it 10x. And so wherever there was an existing flaw or failure or an existing strength, that's become even more the case in the context of everything that we're going through. Correct. It's a reality check, right? A lot of couples are, are seeing, wow, I didn't know you. Wow, like I don't really, really know you. I do not enjoy your presence versus 
we could do this for the next two years. We actually need to spend more time together. Like we're actually reconnecting and I'm enjoying that. Are there any examples or situations that you're seeing arise where that pattern, exceptions to that rule? And so what I mean by that is, you know, are there instances where you have couples with, with strong fundamentals, mm-hmm. um, but by virtue of some set of characteristics of one or both people, they're just the kinds of people who need more of their own time. And so the intensity of the communication and proximity is creating stress where there, there is actually, you know, in other words, it's, it's an issue of just too much. It's a good thing, but just too much of it. And is there, are you seeing that? And are you, are you having to advise people on how to manage, how to separate when they're forced to be close together? Yes, 100%. And I think it all boils down to our love language, also to our personality types. I am finding that the introverts and those that are dating an extrovert are having this push-pull issue of when do I get some alone time? Where can I find time to center myself and recharge so I can be better for you? And the extrovert is like, I need to engage. I need someone to talk to. I need someone to spend time to. My love language is physical touch. We're home 24-7. Why are you not touching me? This is not enough. In a 24-hour period, there should be a lot more. So just working with that and creating a plan in which both members can cater to their emotions and their needs has been a little bit of a challenge because at time, as you know, in New York City, the space may, may, may not be as big as we would have desired for it to be. So it's definitely a challenge. It It's one, a challenge. Also, compromising has become the, this word that I've just been preaching. Like, how can we compromise? How can we meet each other's needs while also being respectful to our needs? How can we move from 100% be 60 to 70% and from 0% to 10, 20 to 30, 30%. Like how can we create a space where we're meeting each other's needs and not rejecting each other and not being at odds? Very interesting. One other kind of exacerbator here is the topic of our hour together, which is politics and the election that's coming up. I'm curious how you have seen that topic coming out in conflict or or in 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 the positive sense in in connection and collaboration in the couples that you work with are you finding that you know this is a topic that is creating division or creating conflict or creating communication issues in relationships now as we get closer to the election um i would say to some degree but not as as much i as i expected it to be i think um the major issues that a lot of couples are recognizing that that their values are not aligned Right. What's what speaks to one in terms of the human, the humanity aspect, the equality aspect, and compared to the uh, the partner who's more business oriented and looking at what taxes are going to look like, how much income am, am, am I going am I going to make, has led to this unspoken. And I don't I don't say I don't want to use the word the word war, but it's kind of right. This unspoken elephant in the room that we know of, but we're not labeling it, right? So if it is not labeled, then we're having 50 different fights without really addressing what we need to address. So 
with with those couples is just having the um the confidence to label hey we're not seeing eye to eye based on our values so how how, how can we engage in a in a conversation where i can understand you better like why does this matter to you so much what how is this related to your childhood or to other types of trauma that you have ex experienced in life how can you help me gain compassion and understanding with your views and how can i do the same for you and once once that conversation takes place then they get to learn more of, about their partner's childhoods their values how they see things differently and and also the common themes that they are both experiencing so this allows them to have the compassion the understanding and and the grace needed to overcome this hurdle i think what you're saying is so interesting i i was having a conversation with a friend recently who was complaining to me that his wife was really angry at him because he wasn't getting angry enough about a particular topic that they were that was going on in in, in the political discourse and they're both i mean their ballots look the same they're voting for the same candidate they you know they're they're aligned politically. It's not like you have a, you know, a Democrat and a Republican or a, a progressive and a conservative. I mean, they're, you know, similar backgrounds, similar profiles, similar politics, but there was this moment of really stress in their relationship because uh, my friend's wife was, was really upset that he wasn't getting upset about this topic. Uh, I'm wondering if, if that's what you're alluding to here, this like, there's something else here that's actually underlying it. And maybe it's an opportunity to actually engage in that conversation in a way that can be hyperproductive to the relationship. Correct. And also the, the way that men express their emotions is varies from the way that a woman express their emotions. And we're each reading each other's emotions from our own personal viewpoint. So to some degree, it's, it's not as accurate as we would like to be. But if we're able to label it, hey, um, I don't feel like we have the same view when, when it comes to this exact issue. And being more curious and asking more questions to further understand your partner, that is the key. But without having the conversation and just allowing it to, to cause a reaction in which your partner does not understand, creates more miscommunication and a lot, and a lot more conflict. So by having more conversations around it, being, being more curious and being less judgmental but having this mindset of understanding creates better, better dialogue and better connection between both parties involved. So let's talk a little bit about that then, these strategies for how you can create a more effective communication and create that space for a real meaningful dialogue. Um, with the couples that you work with in the context of this, like we're together 24 seven, it's not like you go to work and then we come home. What advice are you giving the couples that you work with around how to effectively set up a conversation for success to be able to go into this level of depth and, you know, with a curious orientation and explore these topics together? <laughs> I love that question. So as a therapist, right, and I make great use of social media. Um, one of the parts of social media is that you get to broadcast information and give perspectives. One of the downside of it is also misinformation and miseducation. So there are a number of people lab labeling themselves as experts or vice versa, but they are routinely miseducating the world. 
basically. So with a lot of couples, it's understanding what 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 their education of com of communication skills is, and then um, recorrecting it, and then engaging them in the effective co communication skills that act that actually works. So one of the big biggest myth of couples therapy is that you need you need to listen to understand and not listen to reply, right? That is the most popular misconception that everybody is saying on social media. But the truth is, the key to com communication relies on the communicator himself or herself, right? 96% of the time, the way you start a conversation is exactly how the conversation is going to end. So if if you start by attacking, by by labeling and just disrespecting your partner, then you are never going to solve that conversation. It's going to end the same way. So it's all about going back to the basic and teaching couples how to use I statements and actually use an emotion at that time period, removing the the word you really. And, and always from their vocabulary because those are fighting words. And also learn, learning how to localize the issue and not globalize it. And what that means is having one conversation before other conversations into it that leads to a much big, big, bigger problem. And then five minutes later, you have no idea of what you're trying to address. That's very interesting. Uh, I want to dig a little deeper on the, uh, the last comment you made there around the tendency to globalize. Correct. So I think you, know, you, you spoke about how important it is to start the conversation on the right foot. Mm -hmm. that the way it starts is often the way it's going to end and that you need to stay kind of focused on the topic at hand. One thing that I think is challenging about the moment we live in is that there's so much going on that I wonder to what extent you're seeing that people as they're approaching these relationship conversations are actually, they don't know what that topic is. Like mm -hmm. they think it's about the way that you reacted to, you know, uh, you didn't get angry enough at, you know, so-and-so when he said that in the debate last night or whatever it might be. Um, but really it's about something else. And I'm wondering, is there any guidance you have for people in relationships or therapists who are counseling people in relationships to find the topic? so that you can stay focused on that topic, but you still can do that exploration to find out, well, what is it really that is bothering you and that you want to talk about? Does that question make sense? Yeah, of course. And what just speaking to is identifying the, the behavior and the reason why this behavior is triggering, right? But a lot of time, couples just attack your characteristic and your personality independent of the behavior, meaning you're selfish or you don't care enough about what's going on, or you don't care about the world. But in reality, what they mean to say is, hey, the way that you display your anger is showing me that you may not care as much as I do. So can we talk about that so I can better understand that, right? So once we start to, to engage um, in effective communication skills and the safe space is is created in which we don't feel attacked, we don't, we don't gotta defend ourselves, and there's there's no contempt, then the conversation tends to be more on. Also, um, couples need to learn to, to stop seeking agreement, meaning I'm right and you're wrong, and start seeking understanding, right? 
we can have a conflict, but we're seeing it from two different viewpoints. So you're right and I'm right because this is my experience and that is your experience. I will never agree 100% to your experience because that's, that's not what I've experienced myself. But I can understand your emotions related to your experience. So at times when, when I'm able to, to label that for couples, it takes so much weight off their shoulders. Like, okay, cool. I no longer need to argue with you until I feel like I'm right or you agree with me, but you can understand me. And at times, that's good enough. Very well said. I want to transition to the topic of the therapist experience. Alma, as a community, we exist to help serve and support providers who, in our view, are you know the key piece to the mental health equation, right? It's it's ultimately about the work that you all do at the front lines each and every day, working with the people that you take care of, that ultimately is going to make a difference in the world. And we've talked about this in the context of COVID, in the pandemic, earlier on in that experience, and I think it's relevant, very relevant now as well, which is that you are experiencing yourself as a therapist today, the same stress, anxiety, depression, trauma, grief, etc., as your clients. Um, And this was true, you know, in the pandemic where when we started out, you know, five, six months ago, we talked a lot about this as a community, you know, you were just as scared as your client was about the future, your family, your loved ones, et cetera. I think all of us right now are just as worried about what's the outcome of this election going to be? What's it going to mean for our future, for our children, for our families and so on. How do you manage that in the therapy experience? You know, what have you been doing to find that way of managing your own experience and the potential challenges that come with that in the therapy space? <laughs> well, I, I think for me, it's a few things and I do feel that it will differ from therapist to therapist. Um, I would say a universal thing is self-care, right? And that's just ensuring that I engage in some type of self-care daily, sometimes multiple times a day to ensure that I'm at my best, I, I am centered and I'm ready to serve. For number two, I would say align clients, meaning that you are choosing clients that directly relates to the work that you want to do. For myself, I specialize in couples therapy. So seeing couples makes me excited. Like I actually enjoy that. It doesn't feel like work to me, right? It just feels like I'm hanging out, I'm having a conversation with couples and we're making breakthroughs. And that brings happiness to me. I'm glad that gyms are opened up again. So I've been taking full advantage of that. Also, um, just some self-disclosure, I have an eight-month-old daughter, which it doesn't matter what my day looks like, just seeing her alone, a smile, a hug, a kiss, and I'm just levitating, right? So, um, and at times just reminding myself that I chose this work and that's something that I enjoy. Having certain boundaries in terms of how, how much time I'm spending on social media, my access to my emails and having a set schedule at times has been very beneficial to me. So to me, a combination on, of, all, of all of these things with other side projects and passion projects um, have allowed me to be my best and continue to engage in the work that I do. And in the therapy context, in the therapy room itself, or virtual room, Mm -hmm. whatever we call it nowadays, 
Have you found the issue of politics coming up and eliciting reactions for you if a topic comes up that you know is triggering or connects to something that you care deeply about? And, and in that context, how much are you finding the need to or desire to disclose your own political views or feelings about the election or everything else that's going on kind of in the world around us? How are you navigating that, that line in the context of the therapy uh, experience with the couples you work with? Yeah, so for me, I, I would say that when, when the topic has, has come up, to me, it felt as if they're trying to get some type of approval from me. So to say, hey, I'm feeling the same way. Hey, I'm agreeing with you, which I do not engage in whatsoever. Um, I, to, to me, disclosing my political views and my alliance does not help the therapeutic process, nor does it help the needs of the client. So I have not disclosed any of that. I will listen. I will ask more clarifying questions. Um, I will support. At, at the end of the day, like we're each individuals and we are free to have our own views, our, our own attachment to different things. So I am not a judge. I cannot say what's, what's, what's right or wrong. But, but, but at, the end, at the end of the day, as, a, as your therapist, my job is to listen to you and help you gain clarity and help you through, through your presenting issues. And that's just what I focus on. So I... Uh... I saw a question just come on, uh, so we'll, we'll actually maybe just jump there for a minute. Uh, so Jen uh, just asked on the, on the chat, uh, any thoughts or ideas for helping clients navigate their discomfort, anxiety, and stress in the context of friendships and work relationships, particularly given the near impossibility of neutrality with this upcoming election? I would say boundaries are needed, especially at work like this is not the place nor the time to be engaging in, in political conversations. Um, with, with friendships, it, it, it would be the same thing as well. It's just a recognition that me engaging with you on this topic is not going to lead to anything positive, nor is it conducive to my mental health, right? And we also need to go back to the human nature of of realizing we all have our own views, we all have our, our own values, and I may not agree with it, but also I am free to not engage with you. So it's it's all a matter of being as disciplined as possible and, and choosing who it is that to engage with in relation whether or not it's con- it's conducive or non-conducive to my mental health. You know, I wanna I wanna double click on this for a second because it's an interesting topic particularly just specifically on the topic of workplace. One, the workplace has changed fundamentally in the last six months. So we're no longer physically together in the way that we used to be. Correct. Two is I think there's been this growing sense, particularly among larger employers, that that employers have a social responsibility uh, to speak out on topics that are important to the people that work in that company that need to get involved. You see this at places like Facebook and other big employers where employees are taking a much more active role in looking for the company to be an advocate uh, for particular topics or areas that matter to them. Um, how do you think that boundary setting evolves in that context when the employers are more active in advocacy, in having a perspective, whether it's on systemic racism in our country, whether it's on disinformation and the promulgation of you know, 
ideas on social media. How do you think about, or, or what advice do you have for, for people who are thinking about that boundary setting in a context of a more proactive employer? Great question. Um, I, I would say that, that um, the, the management team of any employment or any aid agency has a responsibility to their staff and to the community in, gen- in general to, to, to take a stand, right? If it's a matter of civil rights, then a stand is definitely needed. And it, it, it is their responsibility to, to continue to, to engage in actions to pro- promote voting, to, to promote a safe space in which the conversations can be guided and can be received and restructured as needed. In terms of employee to to employee, that might not be the case, and I do think that a space should be created for this type of conversation. Yes, very well said. I want to just take a, another um, minute to talk about evolving modes of communication. So, particularly with the virtualization of the therapy experience of many of our friendships and relationships where you know, we're, we're gonna come up pretty soon to Thanksgiving, followed by the holidays. Many of us will not have the opportunity to see loved ones in the way that we are used to. Um, and so you know, that creates a host of uh, implications for the ways that we communicate and the ways that we have the opportunity to connect with one another. And so just coming back to that last topic, in your perspective, you know, as we have lost a lot in the last six, nine months of ways that we communicate, getting together, particularly in person, uh, are there any um, new modalities or ways of connecting that you're seeing be particularly effective to help people bridge some of those gaps and, and solve for some of that loneliness that, um, that you're noticing and, you know, would, would throw out to, to the rest of our community as things for people to think about? And I'll give you one example, one that, uh, you know, I've started getting letters again in the mail, which is, you know, you know, an Love example letters. of this, but I'm curious, you know, how are you seeing communication evolve and where are you seeing opportunity for people to bridge some of those gaps where, you know, we're obviously operating in a time when we, we are so physically apart. Correct. So if I'm being honest, I have seen an increase in communication across board. I, I think that the uncertainty that is currently being experienced has led a lot of people to reach out to their loved ones to do more check-ins and just to ensure that um, everybody's okay. I would say that um, Zoom is doing a one, a one a wonderful job. I wish I had invested into them prior to the pandemic, but that's another story for another time. Um, I, I, I do think that um, Facebook as well has, has been something that has been widely utilized along with WhatsApp. Um, again, letters, right? That's old school, but has been very effective for a number of couples that are doing long, long distance relationships or not living together and need needing to engage in more emotional based conversation. It's uh, it was it was very interesting. I I have, I have a few kids, uh, three kids. My oldest received a letter yesterday from one of his old best friends, and uh, she had drawn a picture. And it was just, it was, it was so sweet because it was this reminiscent of like a, a time that's gone past, but I think really therapeutic for my son to see, you know, that a friend had taken that time and committed something to paper and just the physicality of that, 
of that interaction was, I think, really interesting. I, I wonder to what extent we'll see more of that, almost return to the way it was when we when we were disconnected by virtue of a lack of transportation, not because of a, of a, of a global pandemic. I hope so. I hope so. I, I would say a letter would mean a lot more to me than a text message, right? The effort, the attention, the detail, and just the, the time put into it is a lot more meaningful. Um, also, has been having most of my clients just write letters to each other, taking the time to express their emotions and not having to do it in 30, in 30 seconds or just waiting for a reply. And, right. and actually taking that time and dedicating their their emotions to it has been stellar. Yeah. Well, what, what I mean, I guess we don't want to stress the, the postal service too much out uh, right sure. now, but it's an interesting it's an interesting piece. So I want to uh, transition from here to Q and A from the community. So um, you know, we'll we'll finish out with any other questions that people have from the from the audience. So I see mm-hmm. uh, it says, as a therapist of color yourself. Have you been challenged or emotionally burdened in working with white clients who are oblivious or uninterested in understanding their white privilege and or unaffected by the current social and economic circumstances? Or the opposite, white clients who are re-examining their identity, any challenges, dilemmas, or insights to share with us? So for, for, for me, um, it, it all goes back to um, working with aligned clients and understanding your niche. So um, 90% per- of the couples I work with are usually black couples. Um, and when I do have um, other races in, in terms of couples, it's less about me and ab- about their their views of the world. It's more the, the dyad between the two of them. So by helping them um, manage their emotional skills, their communication skills, and their management skills, they, they are able to have um, and any conversation that they they want to engage in, but that's independent of me and and my feelings. So again, um, just n- knowing what clients you want to work with, ensuring that d- during your um, consultation calls that you are aligned and you can be of assistance to them. Also, I would say that um, I have a num a number of white therapists that um routinely call me in which it's it's just me helping them understand better our viewpoints and what our, our experience has been so they can better understand their privilege and their ex- experiences so that they they can show up more effectively for for all of their clients so as long as the conversation is respectful and it's engaging and, and it's being done for a higher purpose I have no no issue in engaging in it. But in terms of clientele, that has not taken place as of yet. That's a great, uh, I, I want to maybe just follow up on one thing you said there. You mentioned the experience of white colleagues who are reaching out to you mm-hmm. and looking for advice and guidance in, 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 in uh, helping their own clients through their own experience. What advice do you have for, for white therapists who are thinking about this and trying to grapple with this? You know, any things that you've seen be particularly effective in terms of building some of those skills or finding those people like you who can be guides and supportive to them as they're thinking through these questions? I, was, I, I would say it's just taking the time to, to empathize with, with the way of the world right now. And paying paying attention to the cries and the hurt 
that that is currently happening. Um, one thing that that I give feedback on is to may, maybe listen to different news outlets so so that you have a different perspective and a different experience. And is also taking the time and just re realize how your experience has been different and, and actually building that compassion for those of which their different their their experiences has been completely different from yours, right? As therapists, our job is to be as em empathetic as possible, and at times that forces us to, to to put ourselves in mental situations that we are not used to, and actually do, doing the work and doing the the unlearning and addressing our own biases. Thank you for that. As a clinician, have you thought about how you may allow yourself time to process the upcoming election results before turning to your clients to unpack their own emotional responses? And this person commented, I think this is especially tricky right now, given that we may not have results right away. It might be a little bit of time before we know the outcome of the election. Oh, yes. Yes. I have a therapist myself, and I look forward to my sessions. This is the time where I get to unload myself engage um in con in con conversations that i need to to confront and and actually be my sounding board so i i do think in this time period what, what whether it's having your own therapist or having a su supervision group or having a partner who's able to listen to you and offer you that safe space and assist you in doing your self-work i think that's very much needed and very beneficial also for me, the gym is also my therapy. So as long as I have my gym session and I let my anger out or whatever emotions that I'm feeling at that time period, and it's just me versus, versus the weight, by the time I'm done, I'm good to go. I am ready to be a therapist again. I think this is um, an incredible point. You know, the impact that all of this has on you all as the therapists, as the providers who are out there taking care of others, it's just, it cannot be understated. I mean, you're experiencing it from every direction. Um, you know, your own uh, families, your own worlds that you live in, and then all of the worlds and families of those that, you know, come to you as a source of support and stability and who are looking for you to guidance. And so I think, you know, this is exactly what this is for, what this these kinds of conversations are for is really to say, hey, let's make sure we're finding opportunities to come together as a community, to have these discussions, to learn from one another, to hopefully pick up a few tips and tricks and ideas. Maybe someone from this call will, you know, tell someone today to write somebody a letter, who knows, uh, or whatever else it might, might be. But then also for us to just make sure that we're creating that space for us as a community to process. Um, because the, the idea that we all can be collectively embracing that experience together and acknowledging it, but also going through it with the support of a community around us can make all the difference in the world. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about events, programming, and other membership perks at Alma, visit helloalma.com or email membership at helloalma.com. That's helloalma.com.